Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. I'm accompanied by Jay Shaw and Erica Spencer. And tonight we're speaking with George Duby. Uh, he is a CPA with BDO and a tax partner for the real estate uh, department, I guess you would say, George? A real estate group, maybe. The real estate group. And uh, George is going to enlighten us on some accounting issues. This is probably a subject I should be writing down a lot of things to. But, uh, you know, thank you very much for being here tonight, George. We appreciate your time. A pleasure. Looking forward to it. Excellent, excellent. So, um, actually, do you want to kick this off, Jay? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, George, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself on a personal level. terms of your knowledge with real estate um, and really how did you get uh, kind of involved in kind of you know working uh, predominantly with uh, real estate investors uh, it, it may be easier for me to kind of answer where I started from in the sense of quite honestly and in getting involved with real estate and, and and certainly I thrive on that now that that's what's uh, been the predominant part of my practice for quite a number of years but admittedly, it was by accident that I started. I, uh, I, I, I guess the simplest way to describe it is I was uh, kind of sick as a dog for a week. Um, I, my head was spinning. I couldn't read. I was watching TV. And I ended up wa- watching one of these late-night infomercials where basically the speaker's explaining that you could be a multi-gazillionaire if you simply attend the course and three weeks later you won't know what to do with yourself. And, was it Tom well, Please tell us it was Tom <laughs> yeah, I, I won't mention the names involved. Um, but uh, anyway, so once I got uh, feeling a little bit better, I went into the office that weekend. And I went through my files in, in terms of uh, client files, in terms of those that were involved with real estate. And I made two piles of my boardroom table. One pile of those that were making money and one pile of those that were losing money and started studying those. And then I went over, went over for two of Kohl's or whatever it was called at the time, bought a few thousand dollars of books, and similarly ordered through our, I, I guess, our, our tax research um, libraries, uh, a host of materials on real estate investing, tax implications, accounting, etc. And basically I studied like heck for a while noticed some different patterns and relatively shortly thereafter I needed office space. I couldn't at that point in my career afford necessarily to go out and buy an entire building and I co-ventured with my brother-in-law 
he needed some space for living accommodations. I needed office space. And we made a deal that basically in a year's time, I would be able to move into the entire building as the practice grew. And as he and I were working on our building, we realized after about a month, and we bought it, and it was a bit run down for sure, but we did some work on the property and increased the value significantly. And we thought, gee, if we could have done that in a month or two for one property, what can we do on the second property? And then there was a third property, and then there was a fourth property, and then we were addicted. And, and that's really how I got involved with the real estate side, was one from the practical application, and, and then two, yes, being a tax nerd, if you will, and really, really studying what went far beyond what I would call kind of tax 101 in real estate in terms of really trying to understand the business as compared to understand the tax. And what I mean by that is in that tax 101 course, for example, accountants are basically taught thou shalt not invest in real estate. It's bad. And so you had to really get underneath that to understand why were these foolish people investing in real estate? Well, soon I realized I had the fools mixed up and those weren't the fools. It was the fools that were giving me advice. Anyway, that's how I got started. That's actually a really interesting story of how you got started. I like that. That's awesome. It's a little different. <laughs> it is a little different. But, I mean, it's it's kind of you went down one avenue with accounting, and then it just kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of fell into real estate, like literally real estate, like by, by buying properties. That's kind of neat. So... Yes, definitely. Uh, so how did you start to align yourself as an accountant focused strictly on real estate investors? Is it because you made the two piles of succeeding and not succeeding? Or, or how did that kind of happen? Well, I, I would suggest I'm not strictly real estate because admittedly I have a, a nice little part of the practice, for example, with healthcare practitioners. And, and we do deal with some other industries. But what we were finding is that for, for example, my first, what I would call real client, uh, when I started my practice uh, many years ago, was a real estate developer. And I, and I didn't at that time have any specific real estate knowledge. He was hiring me because of my tax knowledge. But as more time progressed, I was, I guess what I would call attending different little workshop groups, etc., making myself available to, to give talks, answer questions, demonstrate that knowledge, if you will, and found, of course, that people were really attracted not just to tax knowledge, but they wanted to have somebody that could empathize with them for dealing with tenants, dealing with subcontractors, uh, municipal tax issues. Not that I was going to be in a scenario where I always dealt with that particular situation, but it wasn't like it was a foreign concept to me. They liked the fact that I was truly putting my money where my mouth was, practicing what that preaching was going on about. And, and as that client base began to increase, again, I may not have directly dealt with a particular issue, but it was becoming more and more frequent that one of my clients was, and I could bring that experience to bear so that instead of somebody tripping over their own feet, and not that people aren't going to do that, not that we won't do that, but 
hopefully we do it less frequently when we have a, another guide that's available. So, George, I'm going to jump in here and um, ask if you can kind of walk us through an initial meeting um, of a client who might be interested in working with you. Like, what types of things would you discuss with them? What type of information would they need in order to kind of get started with you? In terms of that start-off, what we're trying to do, and we, we solicit information at the beginning. So we have a, I think it's a four- or five-page questionnaire that we we give to prospective clients, asking them to share with us where are they now, where would they like to be? And so that's going to measure to a degree. And again, we're not necessarily looking for a lot of specifics, and if it takes somebody more than an hour to fill out the form, uh, that they're putting too much effort into it for that, that initial discussion. But we really want to um, get a handle on what, what's going on in their minds. Um, I, ideally, if, for example, if it's um, uh, husband and wife or business partners or whatever, they're, they're, they're kind of chatting back and forth. And in some cases, while I said it should only take about an hour, what we found is that many people haven't really thought what would they like in terms of their own situations 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And that, that part can take quite a number of hours, if not weeks, just batting back and forth with a, whether it's a life or a business partner in, in terms of what they're trying to, to do. But with some of that, what I would call general information, Particularly if, for example, they're already a business owner. Maybe they're a doctor, an engineer, they have a corner store, they're a consultant, whatever it may be. How can we start to tie in what they're trying to accomplish on that real estate side with what's, what else is going on in their life? What's important to them? And from there, we, I, I think have that opportunity to, again, get inside their heads a little bit and start to share with them, here's what we see, here's some pros and cons, and, and it's an interactive dialogue to be able to, at the end of uh, what I'll call our, our initial tax planning meeting, to really walk away, not with a finely typed business plan, but to walk away with a a basic concept, a basic plan that says, here's the direction we should be heading in from a tax perspective. Here's some milestones that when reached, we're going to start to tweak the structure or do something slightly different, building upon what we initiated. And here's what we see down the road. Not that we're going to be able to predict, of course, with 100% certainty what that medium long term is, but I want to be able to give people an idea of from what they're telling me, here's how I can see things unfolding. Here's a couple of the major possibilities that I see. So they can also start to plan their exit strategies. And they don't think things are coming at them in the future on an ad hoc basis, but there's actually some rhyme and reason to what's going on. So it all starts really with sharing where are you now and what would you like to be doing in that short, medium, and long term. Yeah, so a good a good plan. Yeah, I, I think putting a plan together is relatively, in most cases, relatively easy. Um, obviously, with experience, 
And, and some, admittedly, with our, our clients, some are a little bit more complex that we're going to need a little bit more time than not, or maybe it's going to be another uh, meeting, particularly if somebody has some significant other business activities or some other deep family relationships or overseas investments, whether coming in or going out. Well, that, that may take a little bit more time to put together, but still it's very, very, very possible to put together that basic sketch so that there's some concrete action that can happen afterwards. So, George, how frequently should uh, you know people be speaking with their accountant? Great, great question. And, and I think here, for different people, that's going to be, I guess, different answers. If I can generalize, I would suggest that the majority of our clients, in my mind, should be for example, if we're completing a set of corporate financial statements or family trust or partnership or whatever the heck it is we're doing on top of some personal tax returns, we're going to have a meeting to go through those corporate returns. And in my mind, there should be, as a bare minimum, what I'm going to call a tax planning slash monitoring meeting to see how things are going, to see how we're doing according to plan. But of course, when we're engaging in perhaps a kind of restructuring a business or making some more changes, those meetings may be once a week for a period of time, or they may be every couple of weeks. So the, the, there certainly can be some more intensive periods or, or where somebody's going through some major changes with their business and investing activities. Of course, there's going to be a little bit more involvement, maybe some more emails and phone calls involved with that. But if I can generally say, I would suggest that, the vast majority of people should at least have one tax planning slash monitoring meeting during the year on top of a, here's where we are, let's take a look at the tax returns, financial statements, make sure everybody's happy with um, how that's been presented. Okay. So one of the issues, me personally, <laughs> I have a hard time with my bookkeeping and kind of keeping track of stuff. Um, is this a service that you provide, uh, like to, to help manage that kind of thing? It, it, it is. And certainly you're not alone. The, the majority of people, uh, have, I, I don't want to say inadequate systems, but maybe systems that could be tweaked. And a lot of times people will start, of course, with a relatively simple bookkeeping system, particularly if they personally own a couple of properties. I mean, really, it doesn't take much to keep track of that, an Excel spreadsheet, and you're pretty much golden. But for somebody that is looking to scale up their operations, somebody that's using a corporation, they're more involved with uh, joint ventures or some form of co-investment, then in, for a relatively minor cost, I think they can either get some training on some of the uh, popular accounting software programs, get some a little bit of tutoring with respect to here's how you set it up and use it, and, and maybe they're going to do it themselves or have an administrative person do it themselves or have us kind of look at perhaps on a monthly or quarterly basis how they're doing so they don't go through the entire year 
doing something incorrectly but get a little bit of feedback throughout. Or alternatively, yes, we can do it all. But even if we do it all, I would really, really, really like to see our clients be able to use the information and understand the information, at least to a degree, so they can make some business and investment decisions with their own data. Uh, I, I, I greatly prefer they don't completely offload that responsibility and just, yeah, I'll take a look at it at the end of the year. Um, and I appreciate some people will do that, but um, we, we would like to work with the clients regardless of whether that's kind of getting things started, kind of doing some monitoring, or completely doing that. I was going to say, I think you would shudder if you saw Jay and I uh, try and do books or go through receipts or try and make sense of our business. So uh, the next question we have for you is maybe you can provide an example of how you may have helped grow a real estate client's business or maybe help them save themselves from themselves because that would be Jay and I for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, have ni- we have nightmares about receipts, George. No, I mean, I, 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 it's, I mean, it's a poor example, but... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make the comment anyway, and it's to say the first step is recognizing there's a problem. <laughs> and, and so saying, yeah, maybe my bookkeeping is not as awesome as it could be. And, okay, great. It is what it is. Uh, most of us weren't born in this world with a great bookkeeping knowledge. And admittedly, even for myself, quite honestly, I do not like doing my own books. It drives me bonkers. Um my wife, Robin, does the majority of our books. Yes, I take care of the year-end financial statements and tax returns and answer a variety of questions through the year. But I hate doing my own books. I'm more than happy to hire somebody to do that. But in, in terms of then growing a business or growing our investment portfolio, I recognize a need to have good books, but it doesn't mean that I need to do them. It means I need to be able to have access to information. And so helping clients where we can create that information system and beyond the accounting, but how do we organize the records? How do we get things so that when the mortgage broker or the the financial institution calls or the lawyer calls looking for details or heaven forbid Revenue Canada calls, how do we get access to that information quickly so it's not keeping us up at night and we're not worried about it? We're not worried about, oh my goodness, what does happen? should one of these groups calls us. And I, I think that's one step, for example, in, in helping people grow. And, and that growth really, in my mind, is a lot easier to accomplish when somebody has a, a relatively small portfolio. We put in place some of the accounting steps, bookkeeping steps, information management steps, right at the beginning, let them practice when there's one or two properties so that when there's four properties, there's 10 properties or doors or whatever it is that we're doing or we're getting into other types of real estate investing, all of a sudden now it's a manageable process as compared to I'm doing spreadsheets for my 10 properties that I own personally and now I want to have a few more properties plus I'm going to get into a accounting software program now I've got to learn how to do everything again. And, and again, much more challenging, not impossible by any means, but much more challenging 
when I, I'm doing that with a, a bit of a larger portfolio. So, I mean, beyond things, clearly we provide help with our clients in terms of teaching them how to structure things so they're saving taxes to grow the portfolio. They're helping. I, I love sitting down with clients and going through strategies with them, just being that devil's advocate. So they've heard this, they've heard that in terms of strategies. And I'm not going to tell them what strategy to use, but I do like to play that devil's advocate. Well, have you considered doing this, this, or this? Uh, one of my meetings this morning was exactly that scenario. Again, uh, a very knowledgeable couple, actually a fellow who works in an accounting firm. His specialty is not income tax with real estate, and so he is engaging us to assist with that. And being able to show them, yes, I, I know what you've heard, you've seen different courses, you've read different books, but have you considered this, this, and this? And then you can kind of see the light bulbs go on and say, yeah, I've never thought of that. And they kind of scurry off and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to next week's meeting where they're going to be coming back. We've, we've talked about how to scale up their operation. And I think I'm making a difference for that family, uh, not just mom and dad, but the children as well. Now I'm really accomplishing something. Very cool. So you touched on strategies there for uh, a second, George. And um, I mean, obviously, different strategies lead you down different paths. And, and one path that we, uh, we kind of converse about in regards to incorporating or not incorporating, um, what's, your, what's your standpoint on that with regards to real estate investors and, you know, uh, basically making the decision whether or whether or not to incorporate as a business once you reach a certain point or what's your just general opinion on that? Sure. Um, effectively what I love to do with clients is go through a framework. So, so I have a five point framework that I walk through with them going through pros and cons because the answer is not going to be the same for every person. And perhaps it may seem silly, but Frequently, I'll be in scenarios where I'll have a couple come in with a fact scenario virtually identical to another couple, and I'll give very, very different advice. And the reason I give that different advice is not just because I'm trying to humor myself and see what happens, but I'm actually trying to tailor that framework to what's important to that couple. So, for example, if somebody comes in and says, their primary motivation is to save taxes. Or somebody may come in and their primary motivation is from legal protection standpoint. Or somebody may be much more concerned about financing issues. But as we kind of go through that myriad, now we can start measuring pros and cons, if you will. And now the clients can step back and say, okay, what's important to them? I love to be able to provide the advice I, I, while I will not tell somebody what to do, I will be more than happy to, to make a suggestion. And while I do not provide investment advice, I'm more than happy to answer the question, what would George do? But I force the person, if I answer that question, to listen to why I would do that so they, they can get into my head to start to probe around and see if that same criteria is something that they are interested in or more beneficial, I would suggest, is they may then counter me and say, okay, George, 
But if you didn't feel that part was important to you, what would you then think? And, and that allows that back and forth so we can get to something that actually makes a difference for them. If, if I can directly answer your question in terms of how I feel about corporations, roughly speaking, for somebody that is investing in what I'm going to call traditional real estate, and they're doing that outside of registered vehicles, roughly probably 80% of the time, I'm going to recommend at least a corporation. With recent tax changes that have come out and financing changes, we are seeing a dramatic increase in the use of family trust, which in turn owns real estate. And so, again, and these changes have been relatively uh, new, I would suggest. So the, the advice that I was giving or more frequently giving a year or 15 months ago is very, very different than the advice I'm giving today for many clients. And, and again, it's, it's not just because I'm trying to humor myself or do something different, uh, but it's a result of reacting to changes in the rules, uh, the changes in the practical side of how things are operating, and changes to where we see the rules going in the future. And so even in my own personal uh, side of things, um, basically I've created a family trust for myself. I shouldn't say for myself, for my family and our charities. And probably for 20, 25 years, I would be involved with setting up a couple of family trusts each year, maybe a couple hundred corporations. This year and for the next few years, I expect to see probably in the neighborhood of 50 to 75 family trusts each year, maybe 100 corporations. So again, it's very, very different in terms of overall how we're starting to put things together because in reaction to the, the income tax changes and uh, finance uh, changes in the real world. Awesome. So, George, I'm going to kind of circle back into kind of, uh, you know, uh, one of your strengths. You mentioned that you're a tax partner over at DDO. Um, and I think one of the most daunting things as a real estate investor is really kind of delving into your first tax filing, right? Owning, sure. uh, owning a rental property, whether that's uh, owning it personally, whether it's in a corporation, um, where, like, what are, starting out for, like, a new investor, where should they start in terms of, you know, tax strategies um, when you're dealing with, a, you know, a first-time client? Is that something that kind of you should meet with them kind of, you know, a few months before filing in terms of kind of how to structure things? Is that kind of an initial discussion? Like, where do you recommend they start and how, you know, how do you recommend that they kind of go down the path in terms of uh, tax strategies with you? In an ideal world, we can get to them as soon as possible in the whole process. So if we can chat with somebody before they've even bought a piece of real estate, I, I think we're far more effective and we can bring more bang for the buck, if you will. And, and so, yes, I agree that before filing tax returns were much more valuable compared to after the fact. If, if we wait till after a physical or calendar year end, depending on if it's personal, corporate, etc. cetera, um, after the fact, with, with, with some modification or, or some slight variations, I mean, largely we're just adding up the beans. We may be 
able to help take a couple of different tax positions and outline things, but we're far more valuable before it's even been done so that we can help structure what would be the easiest way of defending the position we would like to, to be involved with or stopping or starting somebody to do, to do something, whatever that may be. Uh, so the, the sooner we can chat with somebody, the better. Uh, and some people will think that why talk with the accountant before anything's really going? But I, I, again, it's a lot cheaper and more effective if we're there at the beginning as compared to fixing things after the fact. There's some things we simply can't fix or put such a a negative connotation to what we would otherwise be trying to do that it, that it, it really it handcuffs us. So as an example, if um, somebody has a co-venture that they're investing with a property personally, and they've incurred some expenses, and one of those co-ventures has, or has filed their tax return, so the expenses they use for fixing up a property, for example, were capitalized as compared to expensed, well, when the second person is about to finalize their tax return, they really need to take a step back and say, well, if I agree with my co-venture, it's more likely to go through with Revenue Canada, assuming it's a reasonable position. But if I take a different position than what my co-venture is doing, it's pretty easy for Revenue Canada to eat us alive. And, and so, again, if we can get in at the beginning – or if somebody is uh, acquiring a property, and maybe it's personal, maybe it's corporate, but we have a chance to have some dialogue as to how that should be done, who should own it, what percentages should be owned. Uh, spending a little bit of money up front in the exceptional vast majority of cases is going to save somebody a tremendous amount down the road. So the sooner the better. All right, George, I think uh, we're going to skip to the fire round here, and uh, we ask these uh, set of questions just to every guest that we have uh, on the podcast. Um, so I'm going to slide it over to Erica just to uh, kick it off. So where do you see yourself in 12 months, George, like as an investor, I guess, and also as a, an accountant? In the I mean, even today, I consider myself exceptionally blessed with what I have and family, et cetera, et cetera. Twelve months from now, I, I would love that to be prominently still the case. I'd love to have another property. I, I hope as long as everything went through the paperwork correctly today, I close on a property tomorrow. And um, we would certainly like to add to that portfolio. I, I'm trying to increase from, a, I guess, a BDO perspective, the clients that were uh, privileged to be able to work with, but essentially my life is really, really great. I, I'd love it to continue as is. All right. Um, where do you see the market going, George, in the next 12 months? Do you have, I know you're not an economist by training, but if you have, uh, you know, some ideas in terms of what that might look like. Yeah, it, 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 well, I'm, I'm frequently asked the question in terms of where that market is going to, admittedly, not my area of expertise. And while at times, I mean, um, I, I don't mind trying to take a guess or two to what's happening. Uh, I, I would suggest that there are uh, a significant number of people 
that are far better qualified to answer that question than myself. All right. Take the easy way out then. No big deal. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, George, who do you learn from? You know, I I don't know if I've been asked this question before. Um, from, from, From my perspective, I think there's exceptionally few people that I don't learn from. And, and so I'm going to learn from clients, for example. And sometimes that's learning what not to do, admittedly. But sometimes they're going to bring me information. Oh, that's really neat. I never thought of doing that or some investment technique or what have you or an area that they're investing or um, some process they're following or, or, or a little piece of advice from a property management perspective, for example. Um, I, I love learning from colleagues in the sense of what are they seeing from a tax perspective? Um, what are they seeing from an accounting and an investment perspective? I, I, I love talking with lawyers and finance experts. Um, other investors that maybe not even are, are clients of ours. So I, I think there's a multitude of people that um, I, I can learn from, and that then goes beyond learning from some of the industry experts, if you will, or those viewed from that perspective and and being able to share with them. Yeah. That that back and forth. I I love having, um, whether it's kind of a glass of scotch, glass of wine, bottle of beer, sitting down and just chatting with somebody. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not too proud to, uh, learn from everybody and, and hopefully I can return some of that. Very cool, especially the beer and the scotch part. <laughs> um, I know you spent thousands of dollars earlier on in your career reading books, um, but what are you currently reading? And if you're not much of a reader, uh, what podcasts are you listening to? Uh, I, I think I would consider myself a, a pretty ferocious reader, um, and, and not just books, and, and not just real estate as well. Um Again, I, I, I'm trying to improve my spiritual life, and, and not to sound like a smart aleck or something, but um, there's a reason there's a Bible on my desk and by my bed and different spiritual type of readings of that nature, because I think if we don't know where we're going, what's the point of getting there? From a, a more technical perspective on the real estate side, um, and this is going back to real basics now for, 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 for most of the uh, seasoned investors, but... I'm actually reading the Kiyosaki books again and going through with my kids what some of those lessons are. And and then, as you can probably appreciate, um, I've got multiple copies of Income Tax Acts and a host of different um, tax articles, research materials, pending rules, things of that nature, commentary on those rules that I'm constantly going through. So that's certainly one segment to it as well beyond, wait a minute, if I'm investing in real estate and I'm playing with taxes and whatnot, it's still a business. So I like to read general business books as well. And so it's um, relatively typical for me to have about 10 different books on the go at the same time. And I have a couple of other kind of more personal books. I usually have a historical book on the go. And I've uh, right now I've got one. I, I grew up in Essex County, the Windsor area. 
and so I've got maybe this is bad to say, but um, a, a book on the rum runners and running alcohol to the U.S., et cetera, et cetera, just for the historical connection. So I, quite a number of different books. Most things I can learn from, and maybe the rum running is not so much a hopefully a learning exercise, but uh, uh, certainly the others are. George, do you see any uh, major changes coming kind of in the industry, like both, I guess, uh, from an investor standpoint, like just personal opinions, uh, or from kind of, you know, a tax perspective, like anything major coming down the pipe? I, I, I do. I, I see quite a, a, a few things coming, actually. Um, with with um, last summer's uh, requested changes or proposals that the, the federal government put out from a tax perspective, I perceive that they largely showed where the Department of Finance and some of the, um, I, 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 I don't, maybe this is an inappropriate term, but the intellectual elite of the country would like to see the country going from a tax perspective for those that are earning investment income and ultimately what happens when people pass away, how much do that, how much of those assets will the government get a hold of? And, and as a result, they're also clearly making changes to, to different finance rules. Uh, and I perceive that they're all intended with the best of purposes. I, I think many of them are misguided, but I, I acknowledge that they're well intended. I, I think what we're already in the midst of seeing is people, for example, on the real estate side, I know oh, over the last, certainly the last 12 months, and, and I can probably stretch that a touch longer, we're seeing a lot more people shying away from traditional real estate investments, and they're also frustrated with, uh, at least in Ontario, where some of the tenant laws were going, for example. And they're, they're getting more involved with indirect real estate investments, whether that's second mortgages, uh, REITs, limited partnerships, etc. But they are, in some cases, I perceive, saying, hey, I'm too busy to deal with that. I'm going to let somebody else deal with that. Or wait, these tax implications I don't like, I'm scared of. I'll, again, I'm going to not that everybody does this, but my fear is too many people are abdicating their responsibility to, to research and understand what they're doing, and they're getting into these secondary products. And not that the secondary products are necessarily bad, but I don't know if people are getting into them for the right reason. And so we're seeing a huge increase in those secondary products. I think as well, we are see well, I know as well, we are seeing more of our clients get involved with, or whether they're the organizers or the investors or both, larger projects. And so there's various tax reasons now, based on provincial and federal rules, why and financing rules, why it can be more advantage, or more of an advantage to have a larger property as compared to a smaller property, and. and as well with some of these tax rules, unfortunately, in my opinion, there's more of an advantage in some cases to be flipping properties or, or develop and sale, rent to own. Um, but 
not that long-term intergenerational wealth transfer of some of the properties, or we need to, if we're going to do the intergenerational wealth transfer and the long-term holds, there's a lot of tax advantages to having enough size to, without getting into all the details, escape certain tax rules. And, and so now we have to cooperate with others as compared to mom and dad having a handful of small investments and perhaps being quite content with what that's going to do for the retirement legacy for the next generation. So I, I think we are getting into a much more serious business environment with some of the real estate activities, and I think we're going to see that more. And I think we're also getting into or, or, or what I perceive from clients and, and, and those that I talk with at different groups, that abdication of responsibility by, I'm just going to throw some money at it. I know real estate is good or I perceive real estate is good. I'll let somebody else take care of my situation. And that, of course, I think is ultimately dangerous. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, especially, um, I think it can be even more concerning, right, as, as you go further and further down the path of to look at these things and, and, and fully understand, like, you know, what are the what are the impacts to me as the investor? Um, I want you to switch hats for a second because, uh, I mean, uh, not only are you a real estate, uh, you know, a tax accountant, but uh, you're also an investor yourself. Um, I think one of the things that, that Brian and Eric and I try and do with this podcast is really kind of um, try and do a call to action for people to, you know, um, get off the fence, take action and, and jump into the game because, you know, as you mentioned uh, earlier, like, I mean, real estate investing has, you know, benefited you and your family and, and, you know, and changed your life for the better. What advice would you give to someone, George, who's sitting on the fence, kind of watching everything unfold um, and, and determining whether it makes sense for them to jump into the game? Yeah. It's, it's, so, so here, I, I, again, I do not want to provide investment advice, but if you will, um, I'm expecting to close on a relatively significant piece of property with a couple of co-ventures tomorrow. So it, it's not like I'm not doing things even today. So I, I, I can sing about all the, the dangers that are coming and all the problems of the world, but I'm still investing. It's still the most significant asset for my family. Um, and I can't even remotely foresee future where that's not the case. Um, what I would encourage people to do is not be scared by the newspapers or what their neighbors telling them or what they've heard wherever, but go and get advice from somebody. One, that's an expert in the area. Two, experts that are actually doing something and not just accounting or tax. And I, I'm not trying to say that that's the only thing in the world by any means. I mean, there's lots of others and there's also people to talk with that are just investing, if you will, that aren't allegedly an accountant or a banker or this, that, or the other thing, and they're probably smarter than everybody else, but they're actually doing things. So I think it's really important to talk with those people. I think it's really important to regularly discuss with advisors, what structure should I have based on my situation today, where I'm trying to go and what the rules are today? As I mentioned earlier, the advice I'm giving today is very, very, very different from the advice I gave not that long ago. So again, re-engage. What you may have been doing two years ago may be not necessarily completely wrong, but not quite as good as what it could otherwise be. 
and, and I think the last piece of advice on that little topic, if I can uh, be so bold, is to say, as a many investors, as a stereotype, I would suggest, um, they, they tend to be trying to get the best deal possible. They're a little bit frugal with the money, if you will. Um, don't be afraid to invest in the right things, and, and, and whether that's the property, whether that's the advice, um, go and get what you need. So somebody that's not set for what frustrates me or one of my common frustrations is somebody that tells me they can't afford a couple thousand dollars to set up the right structure, yet they're going in and buying a half million or a million dollar property. Well, with all due respect, and, I, and I'm not trying to be rude, but if you're going to invest half into a half million dollar, million dollar property, and you're not willing to put $2,000 into doing it right, with all due respect, you shouldn't have it in the first place. You should stay home. Don't do it. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And again, that shocks some people. It really irritates some people. But nonetheless, it's still my opinion. Go and talk with the people that are, are making success and doing things correctly. Get some opposite opinions. I mean, just because just because George Doobie says, you should do this, this, and this doesn't mean it's right. It just means that's George Doobie's opinion. There's contrary opinions out there. And George Doobie is very, very happy to tell you the contrary opinions and to kind of tell you who to talk to, to to get that opposite view. And whether that's from that financing, the legal, the accounting, property management, the property selection, et cetera, et cetera, perspective. Um, don't be afraid to go and get some information. Well, I think that's that's great advice, right? In terms of uh, looking for uh, different opinions, because you know, uh, you know, Brian and Eric and I say this all the time, right? As a real estate investor, you're always learning, right? And you always want to be learning in terms of uh, um, you know of this market, because you don't always have the answers, right? But uh, absolutely, as you and as you build your dream team, I mean, you want to surround yourself with those people that are going to help guide you, and and you know, at the end of the day. The decision is yours to make in terms of kind of, uh, you know, uh, where you want to go and how you want to take your business. But I think the biggest thing, and you probably agree, George, um, you you are running a business. And I think a lot of investors don't sometimes lose sight of that fact, or it's not yes. you're not a landlord, you're running a business. And and I think that's why having, you know, um, advisors like yourself as, uh, you know, as uh, business advisors and tax professionals and you know, guiding us in, in terms of structure and, and how we should be structuring our businesses is so important, especially as we move forward. But, and, and uh, maybe if I can add in and cheat a little bit too, is to say, for for example, a couple of my co-ventures that I invest with, um, I, I think I'm really, 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 really smart and good at what I do. But I recognize that that's kind of one area out of 100. And there's a lot of areas that I'm not smart in and know virtually nothing about. So I go and find some of the people that can fill in the gaps for me because I just don't have that knowledge and I respect their opinions. So I may not always agree with them, but I don't want to invest with people that always agree with me because that's usually going to be a disaster. So go out and find some contrary opinions, even amongst your investors, or, or again, fill in the gaps. You don't want people that are um, identical to you. You want somebody providing some complementary skill sets. Good point. No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's great advice. Um, well, listen, George, on behalf of uh, Erica, Brian, myself, and the Real Estate Investors Lounge, I want to take, uh, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today um, just about uh, you know your role 
uh, your journey in real estate investing, both uh, as an advisor and uh, as an investor yourself. And uh, we hope uh, that people will uh, you know, benefit from uh, the guidance that you've given this evening. Um, if it's okay, what we'd like to do just in our show notes is uh, put contact information uh, for you. And if, uh, if people have uh, questions and or they're interested in, uh, you know, scheduling a consultation with you. I'm sure you'd be open to that. Would love the opportunity and have greatly appreciated the uh, the chance to talk with everybody today. And um, while I give a variety of these types of talks and whatnot, I also appreciated getting a couple of questions that I haven't received before, so that's even more fun. Awesome. 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 Very good. Okay, well, great. Thanks for your time, George. Thank you all. All right. Thanks, George. Okay. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye, thank you.